Hey, Lynn. Hey, D. We're back. I, I refuse to say we're back. We are here. We are here. We are here and we are not going anywhere. But we are trying to figure out our rhythm, folks. So, yeah. sorry about it. It's okay. We have kids and vacations and trips and people and other places on the planet. And so, so this is not all we do every day? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have so many other things we do. So we're figuring that out. We are. And we're on a new rhythm of an every other week release, right? You just dropped that bomb. Oh, was I not supposed to? <laughs> yeah. Every other week-ish. We'll see what happens. We might do more. We might do less. Just hang on for the ride. Yeah, just don't hold us to anything that we say ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> we we don't know what's going to happen. Oh, man. All right, today. Life with a seven. Who's that? Life with a seven. What was that? What, what are you talking about? Podcasting with a seven. <laughs> you look like you're twitching I'm over there. I'm pointing with my head and twitching. <laughs> what are we doing today? Today we are doing something we've wanted to do for a really long time. Yeah. We're having a conversation about volunteering. We've alluded to it in several other episodes. And I know that it may sound like it's going to be a boring conversation, but as I was kind of thinking through what we were going to talk about today, I got really pumped. Mm. And it's something we need to talk about, I think. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about volunteering. And if you will recall, for our committed listeners, episode seven, everyone is way fine. Mm. We uh, kind of talked about it for about two minutes yeah. there. We talked about um, how we don't like the word volunteering. Hmm. Why? Because it doesn't convey what, like it's become overused, mm, oversaturated, okay. Um has a certain connotation okay. of a certain kind of people and the cr- certain kind of things that you do with it. So we're going to explore some of the things we talked about then. We're going to explore some history and we're going to do a whole lot more. Now, we are by no means experts and we're not trying to educate anyone on anything. We just want to have a good, good conversation. conversation. Yeah. So you ready? Yeah. Okay. Where do we start? I think we always start with defining our terms. Okay, defining the terms. So there are a lot of definitions I didn't like. <laughs> so I threw them away and chose the one I wanted. I, I chose a f- four that I liked, but it's interesting how many different sources define it differently. Mm. A common thread, though, is offering something that is not required nor an obligation. Okay. Okay. Uh, to freely offer up your time and service to help. When someone spends unpaid time doing something to benefit others, to help their community. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So, to volunteer is essentially to do something without payment. Yeah. On behalf of someone else or an organization, sure. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, should we go into some of its roots in history? For sure. Okay. It comes from the Latin word voluntarius, meaning willing or of one's own choice. But it wasn't hardly ever used the way that it's used now. How was it used then? Let's go through it. Can we just pause and really like take a moment to appreciate the word voluntarius? Voluntarius. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> Um, the early English of it means will or desire. Hmm. 
So okay. it was used like your will, your own like, personal will for something. Like I volunteer this? Yes. Like I will this? Yes, to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's in the 1300s. And then it kind of disappears till the 1600s, like in any written text. Interesting. Yep. Then when it comes back in the 1600s, it reemerges and had military connotations. Okay. So to volunteer was to be in the military. Um, in 1648, so 50 years later, mm-hmm. it's referred to someone who went on a religious mission. Okay. It was called a volunteer. I can see all of like kind of the nuances of it coming together mm-hmm. to form what we know now. Right, right, right. And then in the 1700s, there was the founding of the first volunteer fire station. Oh, okay. Okay, but that's still an occupation, and it's still like a role in the society to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All right, so our girl Steph, who does stats with Steph. Love her. She came up with a lot of stats for us. And we're going to read a few of them about the benefits of volunteering. Okay. Okay, ready? Yep. Uh, and again, this is a skim, right. like we at the surface level. Regular volunteering is associated with better physical health, mm. which is kind of like, duh. <laughs> it gets you out of your house. Yeah. You're out in an environment, meeting new people, experiencing new experiences. Yep. All of those things are good for your brain mm-hmm. and your body. Yep. Your heart. Your heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Next one, volunteering can contribute to greater life satisfaction and happiness. 100%. Again, duh. Yeah. A little bit of like loving people makes you feel like you have purpose. Mm -hmm. Giving to people. Everybody loves to give things. Yeah. Not just take, but give. Yeah. So yeah, happier. The ages, volunteering tends to peak among middle-aged individuals. No surprise here. Nope. And decrease among older individuals. Uh, people aged 35 to 44 and 45 to 54 are most likely to volunteer, while 20 to 24-year-olds have the lowest rates. It's interesting how that correlates with our listeners, like yeah. the stats with our listeners, because yeah. we can see kind of the age group that mostly yeah. listens to us, and that's the same yeah. same age group. We got like late teens, yeah, a little a little pocket of them, mm-hmm. and then we jump up to the 30s, yeah. or like late 30s, 20s, 40s. yeah, okay. and then early 40s, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay, this is interesting. You ready for this? I am. Individuals with higher levels of education and higher incomes are more likely to volunteer. Hmm. I think I'm surprised by that. Really? Well, in some ways I am. Like in some ways I'm not because maybe people who have been more educated have a more of an understanding of personal fulfillment and the satisfaction that it brings to be involved in a philanthropic way or in a... Yeah. A, a, Humanitarian. Humanitarian. Yeah. Um, and then also, maybe they have the ability to not work so much. Yeah. So that's, that they can spend their time in yeah. ways that... That's kind of what I was thinking, too, is that uh, you have more freedom mm-hmm. when you are financially stable. Yeah. And when you... Um, I mean, yeah. Economically, mm-hmm. you have more freedom to choose what to do with the time that you have. Yeah. Whereas people who may not be as financially stable are working two jobs. Exactly. Or they're, you know, running from this to that because they can't keep up and uh, exhaustion and overwhelm from just trying to get the bare minimum done. Yep. Where you got room to volunteer. <laughs> like that's, that's a lot. In my dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. 
on average, people spend an average of 52 hours per year volunteering their time. The people who do. Okay. Spend an average of 52 hours per year volunteering their time, mm. which is an hour a week. Another is 72% of volunteers are involved with only one organization. Wow. So people know their passions and they're involved in that. They find their niche and they stick to it. Yeah. 18.3% are involved with two. That's really low. Yeah. I mean, interesting, right? Yeah. I, I can see the, the struggle to like reconcile the pool between two. Because even just what we're doing, we're learning about an organization, what yeah. they do, the issue in the community that they're committed to. And it's just, it's like all consuming, overwhelming. It's like yeah. we dove into the deep end. We're like, we should volunteer here. We yeah. need to do everything. We need to raise as much money for them as we can. And you're just like, this is it. This is never going to get better than this one. And then the schedule says, next one. And we get to this one, we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> they're doing the thing. Yes. So like... You kind of have to pick a love right. and chase it down. All right. Last stat that I have, and it's the perfect segue into the different types of volunteering. Okay. The top four national volunteer activities are food collection or distribution. Makes sense. It's number one, 24%. Fundraising or selling items to raise money. It's considered volunteering. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Uh-huh. And that one comes in at uh, 23.9%. So right there, those two are the top two. All right, this one's like, duh. I mean, I'm tired of saying that. But <laughs> general labor or transportation. Like general labor, that seems like all of volunteering. <laughs> all fits into this one category. Yes, yes. 18.8%. And tutoring or teaching, 17.9%. So those are the top four. But there's all different kinds of volunteer opportunities. Let's let's narrow in our conversation on what we are we what we want to talk about and what we're not talking about. Okay. So okay, just big picture, the types of volunteers that are out there. Okay. When we Google this, there are <laughs> literally a thousand websites that list out the types of volunteering. And everybody Everybody says different things. Yeah, Nobody's saying the same thing. There's three types of volunteering. There's 12 types of volunteer. Uh, there isn't, I don't, there may be like a set standard, but I couldn't find someone saying the yeah. same thing as anybody else. Right. And so I just thought this is really confusing. Let's just think about it from our own perspective. Okay. So there's volunteering. Um, I don't think community service like uh, legally ordered would be considered. Right. Like you have to. You don't, it's not by choice. Right. Right. And that is, I think one of the main components of volunteering is that you, um, want to do it. Mm. But I think that there's a couple caveats to that Okay, for groups that like, um, employers or mm. sororities and fraternities, schools, um, requirements, clubs mm -hmm. that require you to do so many hours. Sure. So it's still not a will thing. Mm. It's a, uh, I have to get so many hours in yeah. for this specific reason. Mm -hmm. That is not what we're talking about. Okay. That's not what I want us to deep dive today. Yeah. Um, other types of volunteering are um, maybe for an organization to support that organization. Like being on a board. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yes. Or um, a house of worship or a faith-based organization. Okay. 
it's um, you are volunteering with them for them in order to support them, kind of like free labor. They they request volunteers. They need volunteers to survive. That's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. I'm even thinking like political stations, like during election season. Okay. They couldn't thrive. They couldn't survive yeah. without volunteers. And if you believe in the cause, you believe in the cause and you're supporting that. Um, I think, or in houses of worship, mm-hmm. um, they, they thrive because of their volunteer base. Absolutely. But when you are doing things like... Um, on a, on a volunteer basis, you're helping in children's areas or you're helping with technology or you're helping with, um, greeting Mm -hmm. or you're helping go door to door and, and do things like that. Mm -hmm. You're putting, um, stamps on mail. You're organizing the front office. You're, you're doing all these things. Yes. It's helping the big picture of whatever it is that that organization is committed to in the community, but you're not face to face helping humans. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we want to fine tune what we're talking about here. Okay. When we are talking about volunteering and the discussion we want to have today, it's based on seeking out Mm -hmm. people on the fringes, people who have less, Mm -hmm. have experienced less or more, however you want to define that. Yeah. And then seeking them out, partnering with them, Mm -hmm holding their hand, providing what you can. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not saying like skipping the organization. You're just saying being part of organizations that are doing that, providing that opportunity for face-to-face. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there are other um, volunteer opportunities that don't necessarily serve humans, Um, you know, animal-based or... Environmental. Yes, environmental-based. Again, the faith-based. But those... That's not what we're talking about today. So let's talk about why we don't like the word volunteering. Okay. I just feel like it, one, has a negative connotation. It's either, in my brain, it's associated with like forced guilt tripping. Oh, okay. Is that a thing? You think that's a thing? Yes. Okay. It's like uh, people begging for volunteers and you feeling like you don't know how to say no. Mm -hmm. That's the feeling that first comes up. And second of all, I feel like, I mean, that's part of why Wayfind was created was to help people find the thing that they're connected with emotionally or passionately and connect them with an organization to partner with. Like, that's the main idea. Right. And uh, for some reason, using the word volunteering dilutes the meaning of that. Mm. Like, that's a rich concept of, like, finding that thing Mm. that makes you tick. Yeah. That, like, sets you on fire on the inside. And then to use the word volunteer is like, wah. Yeah. Wah, wah. Mm -hmm. Well, I do think what you're saying applies to volunteering. Um. But maybe that's more of like in the motives uh, section of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go there a minute because um, I think motive is that's part of it for me is when I think of volunteering, I think of going to a canned food drive. We've had this conversation before. Let's throw it out there again. 
doing food collection and food distribution, a lot of people are out there doing these kinds of things, and it is good, and it is needed. People will starve if we don't rally and figure out ways to feed them now. But I, I feel like volunteering, the concept of volunteering is you see this thing that needs to be done and you go do the thing and you did it. Congratulations, you check the box. You did it and now someone has their belly full for a meal. But how much more could it be? What a bigger conversation could it be? How much more could we accomplish if in addition to making sure people don't starve, we ask why they're hungry in the first place and then chase that rabbit until we figure out another place to stop and meet needs or partner or come together collectively as we can do the thing and then chase that rabbit. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all connected. Mm -hmm. Poverty is connected to hunger is connected to incarceration, is connected to foster care, is connected to drug use, Mm -hmm. is connected to suicide, is connected. I mean, like it's all connected. So when we have a canned food drive or we, we, we put food in people's hands and say, there you go, now you won't be hungry for a few meals. We didn't do the job. Mm -hmm. The job's not done, Mm -hmm. but we feel like we're making a difference yeah yes my I think the thought that is rolling around in my mind is if we each had a threshold of what we could do with our own minds and giftings and abilities and resources then and we all brought that to the table like here's what I can do I can go to a canned food drive and be the one that hands the food to the people like that's needed like you said but then we also need you who can do these other things like brainstorm and problem solve different ways and research root problems so you bring what you can to the table so like maybe volunteering for you doesn't look like attending a can drive but it means like attending community meetings and like being a part of these talks of how we can solve so I just and maybe this is like over idealized but I feel like in a a perfect society or an idealized society, we'd all be bringing who we are to the table as our social responsibility to care for people on the fringes. So you think um, everybody has a different role in the realm of volunteering? I wouldn't say like every person has a different one, but I think my opinion is that we all kind of fit into different categories of helping I'm just saying this for the first time yeah yeah but I just a lot of times see us as a society as a body for lack of a better uh picture and that um if this is what I can do then that's you know that's then that's what I I should do and can do but that you may be able to do way more and you should do way more I don't know So my question then is, how do you figure out which realm you fit in? Well, I think you analyze your resources and your time. Well, resources would be your time, your capacity, all of these things that you have. And then, and then along with your passion, like I'm passionate about homelessness. So I'm going to, these are, this is the time that I have. These are the resources that I have, and this is what I can give. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you think majority of people 
out there are uh, self-aware enough to know? Have they ever asked themselves the question of what their passion is, but also what they actually have to give? I don't think so. And this is kind of like when I was thinking about what this has meant to me growing up and all along, I... I never was really excited or even thought I needed to be a volunteer. It had a very specific kind of connotation. And what did you think of? Well, kind of like going to nursing homes or um, one time, I think we, it was a requirement to be involved in some sort of effort. And I did, I helped um, build a house for Habitat for Humanity. It was something for high school. But it was a requirement. Yeah. So I would definitely say like, I haven't spent, um, the greater part of my life volunteering. Yeah. And maybe I can think of things that I've been involved in that I just wouldn't think are volunteering, but I think that's why it's important to identify all these different ways that maybe you are and you're just not realizing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it was, oh, I just kind of considered myself not a person who, who did that and that there are people in the world who are, and I'm just not one of them. Yeah. Um, huh. So you never felt a pull to be a volunteer? No. I didn't. And I think. Really? Yeah. And I think a lot of that reason was because of our lives are saturated in church. Uh-huh. And so it, almost looking back, it's like that kind of felt like our role with volunteering. <laughs> you know, like we were already spending our lives or sacrificing so our much. parents lives um, for people mm. that there, there was no space for anything else. So I'm interested, I want to revisit if we have time. Okay. How you came out, granted, you ca- you were a pastor's kid. How did you come out not feeling this? And it's so interesting that I, f- I feel like, I, I could be from somewhere else, but I feel like my drive to volunteer or to partner with people or get involved or Whatever. I feel like that came from church. Okay. I have a theory. Okay. And this is not an indictment on my specific church or whatever organization. But I, I'm going to make a statement. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be for, for publish or not, but okay. like, I think the church has gotten so far away from what it should be doing that it's producing someone like me who doesn't have a thought about, who didn't have a thought about people who need people on the fringes. You know, we're just producing these people who come to church, do the service that do, you know, volunteer for the things that make the service run, be a Sunday school teacher, be a greeter. Like that is your service. That's your volunteer for the, you know, and you're not, you're not even thinking about people on the fringes. Right. And so I think it's, it is because the church has lost its way. Mm. Okay. Cause I was going to say something similar. I, I just think it's interesting that you came out a little bit hard, hardened to the idea of volunteering. And I came out feeling like I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be. Why am I not? Why am I not? I feel like that came from the church, but the church also never taught me how to do it. Mm. Never or led me to do it. Mm-hmm. Never gave me the tools to do it when we were heavily churched as well, I I counted where we were spending between 11 and 25 hours a week volunteering in our 
church building. Like in like in services and stuff like that. Not like outside efforts. I mean, that's that's part time work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. And and it like and that was for one of us and my husband and I were both volunteering and therefore our children were forced to either be where we were. Yep. So just like your experience that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it hit me one day because I have always felt a lifelong pull to volunteer and I've always felt like not doing enough. I'm not connected. enough. I'm not doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be doing this. Why am I not doing this? Why have I been thinking about this for 15, 20 years and never? And again, that was the emphasis for Wayfind essentially is like, I don't even know how to get connected. I don't know how to, but I, I sat down and I did the math of how much time I was spending in this building, realizing that my call was to the margins and the people on the fringes. And while the place where we, our house of worship was did the occasional food drive or did the occasional book drive for people in prison or did these, uh, a Bible collection for another country or whatever, did these fundraisers, collection of money, collection of goods, collection of whatever, I realized I was never making eye-to-eye contact with anyone on the fringes and I was spending a tremendous amount of the time that I have as a human being We only have so much time on earth. And as a parent to young children, you only have so much time to give to anything other than your family. And I was spending this tremendous amount of time giving to an organization and not even learning about the people in my community, in my city. And I felt extreme conviction about that. Something felt very off about that. So now things are different. Right. We're kind of out of that realm. Um, a lot due to COVID. COVID switched up a lot of things, and I feel like it was very sobering for a lot of the population. Oh, yeah. Um, and now I'm, it's, I was thinking about this morning. Why, why even volunteer? I hate that word. Volunteer in the first place. Yeah. Like, what is it? And I was able to bring it back to, I'm supposed to be, and I feel compelled to, and it's my center to love my neighbor as myself, right? So how can I love, okay, I'm going to try and follow the progression. How can I love my neighbor as myself when I don't know, see, understand, can't comprehend the situation of my neighbor? Mm -hmm. And you may have experience with this, I think everybody does, um, that when you experience something hard, a trauma, um, a car wreck, uh, a horrible thing that happens to you, even just the death of an animal or a family member or just anything hard, you are now able to connect with people on a level that didn't exist before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like you now have eyes to see and you now have ears to hear. And it's almost like you're drawn to people who have experienced the same thing, even though you don't know it until you get to the point of discussing that, right? Mm -hmm. So then, if, say, I haven't ever experienced, which I haven't, domestic violence, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't ever experienced this thing. It's hard for me to fully understand and have compassion 
unless I were to like see a movie and it were to evoke emotion or something like that. But the other way of doing that is through putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Just the simple act of like giving yourself time, space, thought process, journaling time, whatever, meditation to think through what it might be like, even though you can't fully understand to experience something that somebody else experiences. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is so interesting. I was just at therapy last week Mm -hmm. and I was telling my therapist, we were about to do EMDR and she was asking for like some of my most triggering memories, um, traumatic memories. And I said, well, a lot of them I never saw my brain did a thing where it created these memories that I just know things that happened or it connected or had a weird dream. And now the dream is a memory that I, it's not real. It didn't happen. I didn't see it with my eyeballs, but when I'm triggered, I go to this place where I see these things. She said, the body doesn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. If it really happened to you, if you really saw it or if your brain made it up, the body still reacts to it same way, like it's trauma. So then the act of putting yourself in someone else's shoes really allowing yourself to go there yeah, allows you to be able to connect with them on a, it's almost wow. like magical, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're being transformed into something that you haven't experienced, yeah. but you now have that connection point with them. Like a soul portal. <laughs> yes. Isn't that wild? That's, yeah. That's amazing. So connecting all these dots, it's like if my MO is to love my neighbor as myself, yeah. if that's my center, um, for whatever reason, mm. uh, I love my neighbor as myself, then in whatever capacity that I can try to see the world through their eyes, understand their experiences and what they've been through, then it's, it's my job to do that. Mm. Yes. But that's for me. Yeah. Now you were talking about, you just said, mm-hmm. that was so interesting that you referred to like our community. Yeah. Our area that we live as a body. Yeah. And have you ever heard that you're only as strong as your weakest link? For sure. Well, what if half of our community is being ignored, overlooked, neglected, underserved? Your body is weak. Your body is wounded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Diseased. Not not that those people are diseased, but right, right, right. Technology. You can't be the healthiest form of yourself, and it hurts everybody. Yep. You can't do as much. Right. Okay. Here was my thought. I, I jotted down. So I think we can draw upon generations and generations and generations <laughs> of people who have been aware of the need that society has with people on the margins, people on the fringes. Um, you have people like Mother Teresa. You mentioned Gandhi. Like people who are, who know or feel like it's their responsibility to care for people on the fringes. Um, one thing I thought of too in that area of social responsibility was it goes back to me and my versus you and yours, not at the expense of, but like if I'm just protecting me and my family, then I'm not going to have the mindset of like, we need to get involved. We need to be looking for people who need help Mm. because as long as my family's good, Mm. as long as my friends are good, then that's all we need. Mm. So, Okay. Okay. Another thing in my brain is um, the abundance versus scarcity. The idea of, okay, so we are, we are 
committed to being a people who think that there's enough. Mm-hmm. Enough for everyone. Yeah. Not just enough to get by. There's an abundance. Yeah. There's plenty for everyone. Um, but because people live by more a mindset of scarcity, mm-hmm. there's not enough. There's not enough jobs. There's not enough money. There's not enough, you know, they're in competition. They're comparing themselves constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, it it plays out in all of these ways of like, take as, oh, it happened during COVID with the toilet paper situation. Yeah. Like, take as much as you can because I, me and mine, mm-hmm. need to have enough toilet paper. Right. Don't really care about your situation. Right. Um, or if you're in my circle, give me a shout because mm-hmm. I have an abundance, mm-hmm. but only if you yeah. meet these standards or requirements. Yep. Um, but we say, we reject that. We reject the idea of there not being enough. And it's hard. Like, it's really hard. It it changes how you vote. It mm-hmm. changes how you engage with your physical neighbors and the idea of the neighbors in your community. It, ch- it changes how you save your money it changes how you vacation. It changes how you do everything. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that it's a constant tension between there's not enough, there's never enough, there's never going to be enough, and there's so much more than enough. Okay, that's the question. If I feel like I have enough, but I am willing to look at my neighbors on the fringes, usually I can see very quickly that they don't have enough of either physical resources, yeah. money, employment opportunities, mm-hmm. or even like I can see rage and hate in people and I can see abuse mm-hmm. and I can see like the more I'm around it, the more I notice it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't have enough yeah. love mm-hmm. or nurturing or compassion or understanding growing up. Yep. Maybe they didn't have a teacher whoever believed that they would be anything more than a product of their circumstances. So they didn't have enough belief in them to overcome. Maybe they didn't have enough fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Like so, and, and I know I didn't have enough in a lot of realms too, but in order for me to um, fix that, it's almost healing for me to fix that by being around other people who equally did not have enough in those areas and me being able to say, oh, that's another thing that I've learned is like your the things that you've had to endure, your abuses become your superpowers mm-hmm. because you saw the person who abused you. Mm-hmm. If if you're not going to repeat the cycle, you have to address that monster head on. Mm-hmm. And then now you can see it anywhere yeah. and you can spot it and you know exactly what you needed to be told mm-hmm. when you were younger to help you survive. Yeah. So you know exactly what to tell the other kid who is now in that circumstance right. with their abusive whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes a superpower for you and it becomes healing for you to use that superpower. Sure. So, but you're never going to be able to use it if you're not ever around the people who need it. Yeah. And therefore, you have to go to the places where the people are. Yep. And that is the thing that volunteering ultimately is in my brain. Yeah. Of like, there is a place where there's a lot more hurting than where I sit right now. Yep. There's a place where there's a lot more need and a lot more want and a lot more desperation. And to be around those kinds of feelings and emotions and existences, like people aren't just feeling them in their insides they're desperate in their requests for help or their longing for 
companionship or for someone to just see them. There's desperation there. So in order to see that, you have to go there. And and you're not going to go there unless you're doing things like volunteering with a local organization. Right. Who is seeing those needs and meeting those needs and partnering with those people constantly. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about like kind of what now or how to go from understanding this information to what I do with it. Mm. Um, and we don't want to just be another sound in your head telling you I should be doing more, I should be doing more, because that doesn't do anything. Like um, assessing your own, like what you're passionate about, mm-hmm. the resources that you have, mm-hmm. the time, all of that, like what yeah. you have to work with. Yeah. What are your What are your passions? Yeah. What organization is there around you to get involved with? Right. And it really is that simple. So really, I think what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Is that you are, you want our audience to, you're, you're compelling them to go beyond what they have known previously yeah. as volunteering. Yeah. And discover a whole new world of volunteerism. Yeah. So find the niche that lights you up. Yep. And then go pursue it. Yep. And if you do find yourself, um, constantly surrounded by and or donating to these things that don't allow you to connect with the people behind it find a way to connect with the people behind. like take the next step yes wherever you fall in your volunteering like if you're doing all you can do and that is literally it cool you're right where you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. but maybe you could go a step further right and see what happens then and then you know maybe a step further and then the, the more you get into it the more you're never coming back out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we love From it over personal here. Personal experience. Yeah. It's it's quite involved and takes a lot of our brain space and we wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Any other way. Mm-hmm. I think that volunteerism, being involved, being a giver, protector, upholder, isn't a thing you do once two hours a week one hour a week however often you do it it's a lifestyle it's a embodiment and should yeah should be something you're becoming Mm. oh yeah you know there's going to be transformation it's mm -hmm. it's not going to look the same as when you started which is a whole different thing too about like teasing out for me i think volunteering was a checklist like i had to do this as a requirement uh you know, I need, but not somebody I was becoming. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's what it is. Is it feels like something that's on a checklist? Mm-hmm. Have I volunteered? No, I haven't. Why haven't I? Blah, 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 blah. Tear yourself up. Mm-hmm. And why have I been doing this cycle over and over mm-hmm. when it really isn't even about that? It's about becoming a person mm-hmm. who goes, sees, does, partners, connects. Yeah. And to do anything less than that is a shallow version of the real thing. It's not the real thing. Right, yep. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of You Don't Know, a Wayfind Collective podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode, so please feel free to reach out and give us some feedback. 
All links for today's episode can be found in our show notes. You can donate and find more resources directly on our site, wayfindco.com, and on our Facebook and Instagram social media accounts. Remember, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, so all of your donations are tax deductible. Today's episode was produced and narrated by Deanna West and Lindsay Migliori, with music by Smile High, featuring Antoine Stanley. Wayfind Collective is a crowdfunded nonprofit. Our mission is to learn what it truly means to love your neighbor as yourself. So we share their stories in order to evoke a culture of movement that seeks to bridge the gaps in our neighborhoods. Everything that we do is because of the generous support of many people just like you. So thank you from all of us on the Wayfind team for being a part of this project with us.